One of the reasons that we know that we can wait expectantly for the Lord, knowing that He will come, is that throughout history, both biblical and otherwise, those who have waited on the Lord have never been disappointed. He always comes. Even as He came for Judah, um, who we're looking at in our current spot in our series on the prophets as you may recall from past weeks the northern kingdom of israel is destroyed by the assyrians in 721 bc the southern kingdom of judah however survives survives the assyrians and you might think we might think that judah would have learned You know, they sat and they watched what Assyria did to their northern cousins. They saw God miraculously spare them from the Assyrians in the wink of an eye overnight. And you'd think that Judah would have learned and repented of her own sin and turned back to God. And while she had spurts of obedience, in the next century, she didn't learn. Instead, she decided to go down that path, that path that if you're like me, you might be tempted to go down sometimes when things are going well. Judah went down that path of, hey, look what God did in a wink of an eye to the Assyrians and spared us. He's obviously never going to let us be defeated by foreigners. Obviously. And His temple is here. His presence is here. His Shekinah glory is in the Holy of Holies. We got it made. God's with us. For anyone come to defeat us would be like defeating God Himself. He'll never allow it to happen regardless of our actions. And God has to continue, therefore, sending prophet after prophet over the next hundred years or so to plead with Judah to repent. It means to change. To repent, to change, to remind Judah that her obedience that is her witness to the world of who God is, her obedience matters. And the prophets God sent to Judah in the 7th century B.C., those 600s B.C. include Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Nahum, and the most important of all, Jeremiah. And it's Jeremiah we'll spend some time with this morning and next week. We know more about Jeremiah than any other writing prophet in terms of his background. He was from the town Anathoth, which feels like you're lifting. Anathoth, which we would call a northeast suburb of Jerusalem. He was a priest. (laughs) Now I want to lisp. He was a priest. No. (laughs) He was a priest, 
or of their lineage at least. It's unlikely we don't know if he actually practiced as one in the temple. But he was a priest or of that lineage because we know he was a son of a priest, Hilkiah. And if that Hilkiah in Jeremiah is the same Hilkiah that's mentioned in 1 Kings, as it would appear to be, then Jeremiah may well be a direct descendant of Moses and Aaron through Eli. Jeremiah's call to become a prophet came in 627 B.C., about halfway through King Josiah's reign. King Josiah was that eight-year-old boy king who brought about many obedient reforms in Judah. And Jeremiah's call came when he was a boy. The Hebrew word is na'ar. So he was no older than a teenager, certainly, and probably younger in that culture. Another of the multiple examples where God uses kids. And so, when he was very young, God called him to be his prophet to Judah and put Jeremiah as an eyewitness before, during, and after one of the most tumultuous and disastrous times in Judah's history. Jeremiah is there and sees it and feels it with his own eyes and feels it with his own heart when Egypt comes in and and dominates Judah for a few years following Josiah's death. Jeremiah is there when Babylon first comes and gets a taste of Judah in 605 B.C. and deports many of the members of the royal family, other nobility, deports Jews for the first time. Daniel, who we know, went during that first deportation. Jeremiah is there again when Babylon returns for an even deeper taste in 597 to raid the temple of her treasures and to deport even more Jews, this time including Ezekiel. And Jeremiah is there finally when Babylon comes in fury to put down a rebellion in 586 B.C. and absolutely levels Jerusalem and God's temple deports everyone this time, all but the poorest of the poor who are left to sit and to weep in the rubble of what used to be Israel. Jeremiah sees this all, and he writes about it. And his heart is broken over what happens to Judah. He's called the weeping prophet. The picture you see is Michelangelo's from the Sistine Chapel in Rome. And this picture really is worth a thousand words. The artist truly captures, in my opinion, Jeremiah really, really well 
He's troubled. He's heartbroken. And we can understand why when we remember what he saw happen before his very eyes. The nearest thing I can think of in recent memory to get at how Jeremiah felt is 9-11. You remember? How you felt in the aftermath of that? Only multiply it exponentially because every town, every village, everything was gone. And Judah was no more. And so there Jeremiah sat. Interesting that he was not among those deported. Maybe God protected him from it, maybe hid him. As a priest, or a son of a priest, he would have been on their list. But God has him stay behind, sitting in the rubble, weeping with the poorest of the poor. Is that when Jeremiah writes Lamentations, probably? Lamentations is anonymous, but very long-standing tradition, and many literary ties point to Jeremiah as its author. In the book of Lamentations, a prolonged, heartbreaking lament over what's happened to the children of Israel and what's happened to Jeremiah. I had that um, picture up on my screen all week as I was um, reading in Jeremiah and Lamentations and preparing the message. You ever feel like what he looks like in that picture? over life, at least the tough stuff in life. Do you ever feel like that sometimes? And one thing that I'd like to focus on with us this morning that we get through Jeremiah, through that eyewitness, is we get some real insight in how we should react when we're feeling like that, the tough stuff in life. But before we get there to how we might respond, how did Jeremiah respond, I want to build a bridge by taking a few minutes looking at, or one way to look at, where tough stuff comes from, biblically. Because I think um, it's helpful to keep this in mind. I, I know it helps me to think this way whenever I'm facing tough things. My hope, my hope is it helps you too this morning. It's one way to look at tough things anyway, not the only way. See what you think. I like to think that there are four fundamental sources of tough stuff in life. And this first one... It may even get an amen this morning. We'll see. 
One source of tough stuff in life is other people. <laughs> Amen? Oh, isn't that the truth? What's the saying? There's lots of derivations of it, you know. Life would be great, or just fill in anything in the blank of life. Blank would be great if it wasn't for all these other people, wouldn't it? goes the rather tongue-in-cheek saying. And how much of the tough stuff in your life is because other people are messing with you somehow? How much? Yeah, I hear a lot. And I'm including in this category of others just what it's like to live in a fallen world where there's disease and cancer, where there's war and where we can be outside of us an innocent bystander and get caught up in the collateral damage of others' sin. That's one source, I think, of tough stuff in our life. A second source of tough stuff in life, we'll see if this one gets an amen, is ourselves. That's even a heartier amen than the first one. Well, you had practiced, right? We bring a large amount of trouble down on ourselves, don't we? I made a list of all the tough stuff in my life from beginning of my life to present day as best as I could remember. Made a list. It was a long list. And I went and looked at, of those tough things in my life, how many of those were at least in part as a result of my poor choice? or result of me. Guess how many? For, it was all of them. And you know, whenever I'm facing tough things and I'm wrestling through tough things, one thing I do, it helps me. Maybe it'll help you too. It, I remember, you know, I like theologians. What can I say? And I remember a certain quote by a certain famous theologian it helps put my own sin in perspective for me. It invites me to just shake my head and laugh at myself, which is such an important thing for me to do because it's humbling and I need humbling. Most of the kids are in Durango. Some of you are here. Or if anyone is dating or looking for a future husband or wife one day, it's just an aside advice. One thing you can look for when you're dating, find someone who laughs very easily at themselves. That goes a long way when defenses don't just come up at the very thought that you could be less than what you should be. When you can just, you know, you're right, I blew it. I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. But the certain theologian, the famous theologian, the quote that comes to mind for me helps me find perspective, even makes me laugh at myself a little bit, is from a very fa famous theologian, this quote, <clears throat> who once said, life is tough, but it's tougher when you're stupid. 
<laughs> well, that one got an amen. That's so true. How much tough stuff in our lives can we trace back to our own poor, stupid choices? The third source of trouble in life, I'd guess this morning wouldn't surprise anyone here this morning, it's the devil. The Bible tells us, point blank, he's coming after you, believers in Christ, like a roaring lion. And he wants to tear you into little pieces. Not only through others. Not only prompting your own poor choice. But that text in particular is very clear. He's personified as a roaring, tearing lion. And he's coming for you. The spiritual realm is very real. I know in my own background and upbringing, I had a blind spot. And only now I'm becoming more and more aware in the last several years that, yeah, that spiritual realm is real. The devil hates me. And he's doing his level best together with his spiritual minions to put me down. And yeah, one source of the tough stuff in my life is as a direct attack from the devil. And then this last one, and it is especially on display in Jeremiah. In fact, it's especially on display, I would say, from Genesis through Revelation. And yet, it's one... I bet most of us wouldn't think to even put on the list because it's very uncomfortable for us to think about this. It seems even sacrilegious despite the Bible clearly telling us it's true. But we're uncomfortable about thinking of this being a source of trouble or tough stuff. But here's the thing. This one is no surprise to Israel or Judah. And it's something the Bible is very comfortable with repeating over and over again. So we should talk about it too, I think. And the source of tough stuff I'm talking about here is God. God disciplines us. And sometimes His discipline is very tough. See, and I know the church in her ages through the centuries, uh, is, it's on a pendulum on this one. And perhaps in the last century, very early on, we had sermons like Jonathan Edwards. Sinners in a, the hands of an angry God. Most of us here today, I think, would go, Whoa, Jonathan, pastor. Isn't that a little too harsh or way too harsh? And I, my heart on that is, yeah, I recoil even at the title, don't you? But is it possible 
to take the pendulum too far the other way and look at God as only a kindly, gentle grandfather figure who would never ever hurt a fly for any reason with peppermints in his pockets. Now he is that, but is he only that? Does he also discipline? Maybe not as far as Edwards wants to go. And you see it. You see God's discipline clearly throughout the Bible and not just in the Old Testament. You can't wish this away by saying it's from a different era and it's no longer... How about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts who lose their lives because they lie about how much they gave to the church? You say, well, that was a one-time thing at the beginning. Uh, is the author of Hebrews talking about a one-time thing when he tells us plainly, quoting Proverbs, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when He rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those He loves and He punishes, the Greek there is strong, scourges, chastens, everyone He accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons and daughters, the very words of God. We'll come back to this one more in the, uh, once more in a minute, but I find it helpful when tough things happen in my life to try and discern which source or sources of those four we've talked about are in play. And it could be more than one of those sources. In fact, very often all four are in play at the same time. But discerning and discernment here is very valuable for us to try and locate that main source or sources at least of the tough stuff currently or the trouble in our lives can help us deal with them more effectively, help us know how to find peace and relief, help us to correct it, help us to know how to pray. It's always helpful for me to sit down and tell, is this happening in my life because of something someone else did? If so, what? Can I do anything about that? Can I talk to them about that? Can I mend or improve that relationship? Is this tough thing happening in my life because of a choice I made? Why did I make that choice? What can I do to prevent myself from making that choice again? Or, and... Is this tough stuff in my life straight from the spiritual realm? Again, my own thought on this is that many more difficulties in our lives than most of us tend to think are indeed demonic. And finally, is this tough circumstance in my life God disciplining me in love? as the author of Hebrews guarantees will happen to every 
one. And I think discerning the main source or sources of trouble can help us get a better handle on it, it seems to me. And regardless of the source, how in Jeremiah can we see that we might respond to the tough stuff in life? What should we do? And, and here the answer is the same. Regardless of where you land on the sources of tough things in life, when we're facing tough things in life through Jeremiah, we can see that we need to seek God and ask Him for help. Ask Him for relief. Repent of any sin involved on our part. The book of Jeremiah is the highest concentration of the Hebrew verb suv, which means to repent. And then this last one, which may feel especially odd to us when God is the source of the tough stuff. We need to praise Him for His love and His faithfulness. Seek God and ask Him for help. Ask Him for relief. Repent if there's any sin involved. And praise Him for His love and faithfulness. Even praise Him? And it may well be tough to do that sometimes. That praise may stick in your throat. Especially when there's tough stuff. It certainly stuck in Jeremiah's throat. Oh my goodness, we'll look at that next week. Because we need the whole time. It's one reason I love Jeremiah. He is so real when it comes to his wrestling with how a God who loves him can put him through such straits. I love the insight we get into his heart there. But even he found a way. And I think we can too then, so help us God. One key, and we've seen it, I'll put it on the screen again, one key to seeking and repenting and praising while in the tough stuff is trusting in God's love. Even when it doesn't feel like love to us. We saw this in Hebrews 12. I've got it on the screen, but um, I think we have a helpful assist from Eugene Peterson and his translation, the message here. He translates Hebrews 12, 4 through 11 in a block. But here's one scholar's take on Hebrews 12. My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. He's training you, the normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. 
But God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely, for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. And yeah, it may feel odd. It may go against the grain when there's tough stuff in our lives. It may be hard to praise God or even turn to God, especially when the tough stuff may be from Him. But I was startled this week to come across a passage. Not the passage itself, because I had heard it before, but I was shocked that I came across this passage in Lamentations of all possible contexts that I would have guessed this verse came from. Lamentations probably would have been my last guess. Okay, maybe Ecclesiastes. The context, remember, in Lamentations is the lowest of the low. God bringing punishment. And yes, all four sources of the trouble that we've talked about today for Judah were no doubt in play. But the Bible is also very clear that one big underlying foundational piece is God brought Babylon. And yet, Jeremiah, of all people, could write, Yet this I call to mind and therefore have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for His compassion's never fail. They are new every morning. New every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. He wrote that when? I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. For men are not cast off by the Lord forever, Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. That is such an extraordinary understanding to me. And it's an appreciation. It has to come from an appreciation deeply that Jeremiah or anyone in Judah you know, deserves absolutely nothing. They understand that so completely that they can ultimately accept even something like Assyrian and Babylonian devastation as being from the hand of a loving God. That just amazes me and it testifies to me and convinces me that I too can accept anything that happens to me from whatever the sources or combination we've talked about even that source of God because I know God loves me and one key there it is again here is complete faith that God is love and he loves you that even in tough things he himself brings God is love and he loves you do we trust that Do you, even when tough things happen? And I'll admit, there's a lot here 
that I still wrestle with and I don't pretend to fully understand. I, I'd be the first one to raise my hand and say, man, God seems rather rough with some people in the Bible, including ones that He loves, that are the children of Israel. He loves all people. And so I have a choice to make, don't I? Do I trust Him or not? Do I trust Him when I feel, man, Lord, you're being really rough with me. Or even worse for me, man, Lord, you're being really rough with my wife or with my kids. And I've got a choice to make then. Some people make the choice, well, that can't be God at all because he's the grandpa with peppermints in his pockets. But I have the text, and it's over and over and over again that God is the source of tough things as he disciplines. I'd have to get rid of half the Bible. It's not just a strained verse here or there. It's everywhere. And so I have a choice to make. Do I trust him? Even then. See, I find that at least sometimes when someone's having difficulty accepting that God may indeed punish or discipline them, it often seems to me that the much deeper problem they are really having is believing beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves them. And in searching for that basis of such trust, how could I possibly trust in a God who chastens me? Why should I? Why should I trust that it is without question out of love? Well, that question always inevitably leads or should lead to the cross. His name is Jesus. And when I struggle with man, I read in the New Testament that God is love, and look at those things in the Old Testament. It's like, man, these people, what in the world is going on there? I don't know that God is love. And reading Jeremiah, he punishes, and Israel gets wiped out. And you read in there all the terrible things. I don't, I don't know that, that God is love. And the devil gets me in there. What lifts my chin and to me as the source of the faith through that thing that doesn't quite make sense that I can hold on to is the cross. Because of what he did. He sent his only son to die. He did it. And therefore he loves me beyond a shadow of a doubt. And so matter the tough things that he allows or causes or however that works with those multiple sources, whatever it is, I know that He loves me, and I can indeed wait on the Lord with the courage and the expectation that He's coming. Amen. Even Jeremiah, even in his despair, sitting there on the rubble with the poorest of the poor, 
Jeremiah could write, this is what the Lord says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Oh, do you trust that today when you feel despair or feel that you're in exile or when there are tough things in your life, when God may be disciplining you as he did to Judah? Do you trust that? Jeremiah did. And he had no reason to other than his certainty in God's love. When tough things happen in life, try and discern the source. And then bring it all to God. Seek Him. Ask Him for help and relief. Repent of any sin involved on your part. And yeah, praise Him for His love and faithfulness because you can trust it that God loves you. How? His name is Jesus. And it's in Him that you can know that the day of your troubles one day will be forever gone. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you know, you know how hard it is at times for us to truly, deeply feel that you love us just as we are. And how that can be especially hard when tough things are in life. Father, I just wish, I, I pray, Father, that in the power of the Holy Spirit, in and among us, you would convict your people beyond a shadow of a doubt, mature that faith to where nothing can touch it, even during a time of exile or sitting weeping in the rubble, that you love them. I ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you stand, please? The benediction this morning is from a different portion in Lamentations, same chapter 3. It's one of those many strong literary ties that link Lamentations to Jeremiah. Because in Jeremiah we read that one of the many tough things that happened to Jeremiah is a group of people arranged to throw him into a pit. And he got stuck in the mud. And the reason the people did that rather than directly outright kill him is they thought, well, if we just throw him in the pit and he gets stuck in the mud and starves, we really didn't kill him, the starvation did. But God sends a slave, a Cushite, and rescues Jeremiah. Hear God's words from Lamentations. I think it's one reason why Jeremiah could trust that God loves him. One of the many reasons God gives him along his life. Jeremiah writes, I called your name, O Lord, O Yahweh, 
I called your name, Yahweh, from the depths of the pit. And you heard me. You heard my plea. You heard my plea, Yahweh, do not close your ears to my cries for relief. And you came. You came near when I called. And you said to me, do not fear. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you all. Have a great week.